Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the first day of July, 2023. I'm Mark Call, and the beginning of a holiday weekend that, unfortunately, most Americans don't have a clue anymore concerning what it's really about a document that ultimately formed the basis for the most successful government of men in history, at least while it lasted, which is why I urge people, particularly now, to pick up that document. The real title is The Unanimous Declaration of the 13 United, with a small u, States of America, and read it. Understand what it says, because it includes one of the most important lines ever written. First in the English language, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, and there's the function of government, folks, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And then they go on to point out the real crux of the matter, and we're there again, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. And as we now have to say, the rest is history. And sadly, the rest isn't taught anymore either. So that means, your host will contend, it's up to us to make sure that we do. With that in mind, I'm going to begin our wrap-up and our look back at the week preceding the holiday weekend with a couple of stories that ultimately amount to a case in point. The kind of things that show how far we've come and why it is that whatever we've got, instead of a nation of law and not of men, does need to be altered. And wait a minute, who are we kidding? Altering doesn't seem to cut it anymore. It's the Confederation of United Republics that's been abolished. But the rub is this, folks. You can't restore something without knowing what it is that you were at least once supposed to have had. So here, to kick things off, a couple of stories that show how far gone whatever that was now is. This comes from the Daily Mail out of the U.K., and I guess from across the pond, maybe they can see it more clearly. Michigan residents, it says, could be charged, these are no longer free Americans, obviously, with a felony and face up to five years in prison and a 10,000 fiat buck fine for using, uh uh-oh, the wrong pronouns under a new abomination that even some of the proponents admit is uncomfortable constitutional is all hell, but hey, that doesn't even slow him down anymore. The Michigan House has approved a new hate speech bill, and some of us hate it already, called HB 4474 that would criminalize causing someone, any snowflake or other person whose rights exceed that which you still have, to feel threatened by mere words. The bill intends to replace something that's already pretty far out there constitutionally, the current Ethnic Intimidation Act, to include sexual orientation and gender identity or expression as protected, i.e., they're above the law and you're not, classes, and as a result, offenders, and that means anybody that didn't get the Orwellian message, could face five years in prison for a felony offense, as well as, of course, huge, massive fines. You will love Big Brother, or else. And yes, folks, you already knew this, that would include misusing their pronouns. And all of this, says the Daily Mail, is part of the continued effort by the communist, socialist, fascist, you know, pick an ist, they pretty much check the box, in the state to advance the pro-LGBTQIA, we got to add bestiality plus plus and whatever else they put in there later, agenda during their first months in despotic totalitarian power. 
<laughs> this would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. Critics, says the Daily Mail, argue that the bill poses a threat to what's left of First Amendment rights, do you think? And it lacks clarity when it comes to defining harassment. That's the point, of course, leaving it open to subjective, meaning we make the law and you don't, interpretation. And ironically, folks, the bill already includes religion as a protected class. It's just that their religion, which is antithetical to yours, trumps it as well. And interestingly, when it comes to idiocy based on preferred pronouns, the Brits ought to know. A Christian doctor in the UK said a piece earlier from the Epoch Times has been fired by one of their socialist health ministries for refusing to use hypothetical, not even real, transgender pronouns for imaginary patients during a training session. Because the Department of Work und Pensions declared that his failure to accommodate even hypothetical patients' gender preferences and preferred pronouns amounts to harassment under their so-called Equality Act of 2010. If there's any good news in this bit of idiocy, it's that the General Medical Council at least supported the doctor. They wrote a letter asking the court to address the, quote, implications surrounding compelled speech and forced adherence to gender identity and belief as a condition of employment, unquote. And, uh, hey, thought crimes are arguably way past the point of compelled speech. And this next item that I'm going to suggest is a very much related story comes from the far left coast and Seattle via the postmillennial.com, which has the headline, Seattle Area Police Go All Hands on Deck. In other words, they're running amok. Now, is this about crime? No, they don't care about crime. Have your way with the peons, the disarmed wannabe victims that are silly enough to still live there. But in this case, they really desperately want to find a car that dared to leave skid marks on a painted pride banner in a crosswalk. Hey, folks, remember when desecration of the American flag was a problem and people warned where calling that a crime might lead? Well, ironically, I guess you could say the people who were more than happy to desecrate that flag and the republic for which it stood will now have their way with you for daring to uh, desecrate their symbols. Police are looking for the people responsible for crimes. They call it reckless driving and malicious mischief. Now, listen to this. The driver in a white Toyota Sequoia was caught on camera doing burnouts on the intersex-inclusive Progress Pride flag that was put, arguably at taxpayer expense, at the entrance of Marina Park at Kirkland Avenue and Lakeshore Plaza in Kirkland, Washington on June 20th. Fox TV Channel 13 Seattle is helping spread the word. The Thought Police released video of the incident and are looking for the people responsible for the crimes of reckless driving, oot malicious mischief. And according to the Kirkland PD, sick, the incident took place at around 11.40 p.m. At least two people were inside the miscreant vehicle at the time, and they need to be taught a lesson. Police have posted the video, and Council Member Amy Falcone, does it rhyme with Corleone? said in a press release for the Pride event, quote, The inclusive Progress Pride flag symbolizes the value and beautiful diversity of all LGBTQIA2-S, whatever the hell that means, people, she said. Symbols matter. And you know what, folks? They really do. In this case, they're just being slammed down people's throats, and maybe a few folks have had enough of it.
Anyway, the installation of this crosswalk, said the council mob boss, is just one way that the city is working to create an inclusive, unless you're not part of us. And how's that for inclusive? Yeah, if you're not part of us, if you don't suck up to our symbols, we'll crush you. And don't you forget it. Back to this asinine Orwellian self-serving quote. The city is working, they say, whether you like it or not, to create an inclusive and belonging place for all community members. Unquote. And see, she said it. You ain't part of the community if you don't have the right pronouns and the right letters in your sexual identity and gender preferences. And if you don't bow down and worship our symbols, well, guess where your belonging place now is? Other folks are asking the question, gee, why is it that suddenly the agenda here has become clear? The hell with people who commit actual crimes, but if you don't drink the Kool-Aid, your ass is ours. And probably, folks, in the new LGBTQIA2-S crowd, that could mean even more than you think. No wonder at least a few brave people are doing burnouts on their intersex-inclusive BS pride flags. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to ride. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. My life has value. And as it turns out, he wants everyone to go to the window and yell something. Remember? I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Well, folks, that was the movie Network, and it was literally decades ago. 1976, to be precise. And look how far we've come. And it's even ironic if you think about it. Howard Beale, the mad prophet of the airwaves in the movie, was kind of a nutcase. But honestly, you could believe he could win an election before a senile diaper-wearing Biden Fuhrer. And this would almost be funny if it wasn't so downright disgusting and even insulting. The Supreme Court, to their belated credit, has finally figured out that discrimination by race is, well, not only discriminatory, but actually not sanctioned by the Constitution. Who could have thought it? Writes Jim Hoff of the Gateway Pundit, among many, many others, in an historic ruling, the Supreme Court Thursday ruled that the Harvard and also UNC race-based affirmative action programs are unconstitutional. So schools nationwide will no longer be able to discriminate against students on the basis of their race. And how bad were the policies? An African-American student who placed within the 40th percentile of their academic index is more likely to gain admission than an Asian student who ranks in the topmost 100th percentile. And these are among just some of the astonishing racial disparities that were pointed out to the court who who finally realized what, uh, well, anybody except the racists claiming it was only affirmative action should have figured out a long time ago. But that didn't stop, much less shame, the utterly shameless, many of whom, from whoopee to the senile diaper wear, proceeded to prove just how clueless they really were. Among them, a bitter Michelle, sick Obama, who issued a statement saying, quote, back in college, I was one of the few black students on my campus, and I was proud of getting into such a respected school. I knew I'd worked hard for it, but still, she said, I sometimes wondered if people thought I got there because of affirmative action. Notes TGP, there's just one thing that Obama conveniently forgot to mention, how she was accepted into Princeton when her test scores were so low. Does that mean it might have even been something more than just affirmative action? Maybe, said a campaign official all the way back in 2008, she had an edge, not because of affirmative action, but because her older brother, at six foot seven inches, was a scholar-athlete recruiter to play basketball. 
But really, folks, even that looks honest next to Focahontas. The infamous Senator Elizabeth Warren, you know, the woman who's whiter than ivory snow, but still claims she was Native American when it got her affirmative action points toward whatever ambition she was gunning for. The woman who repeatedly claimed to be the first Native American woman of color hired by Harvard Law School and later, much later, was finally humiliated into taking a DNA test and turned out to be, at most, one part in 1,024 of whatever she'd been claiming. And yeah, for those old enough to remember the old Ivory Snow ad, 99.44%, she was, in fact, whiter than Ivory Snow. Now, let me hasten to add here, folks, no, unless you're a far leftist, there's nothing wrong with that. Unless, of course, you've also been lying through your damnable teeth about it to make, yep, racist political hay for years. Well, brace yourself. Here it comes. Senator Elizabeth Warren was truly shameless enough to tweet the following, quote, An extremist Supreme Court has once again reversed decades of settled law, rolled back the march toward racial justice, and narrowed educational opportunity for all. I won't stop fighting for young people with big dreams who deserve an equal chance to pursue their future, unquote, and let the games begin. Check out some of the reactions, says TGP's coverage. Here's one, which helpfully includes a 1986 copy of her State Bar of Texas registration card listing her race as American Indian, with the comment that Elizabeth Warren claimed she was Native American for like 20 years. Harvard Law School touted her as a diversity hire in the 90s. Sit down, Liz. Other tweets pointed out that she didn't just lie on her 1986 Texas bar registration card. You literally said one filled out forms by your own hand where you cited American Indian as your race at the University of Pennsylvania, Harvard, the American Association of Law Schools, and that registration card. All of them falsely advertise you as a minority in faculty directories. Sit down. Others noted that after lying about being Native American for decades, now she's mad that Harvard can't continue to discriminate based on race. John Gabriel wrote, pale-faced squaw, speak with forked tongue. Simmer down, Focahontas, said another. Take a drag off your peace pipe. And my favorite, a commenter simply pointed out, you have one 1,024th of a point here. As for me, folks, I'm simply inclined to point out that, once again, this proves what happens to a society when merit is trumped by just about everything else. It may start with racism pretending to be the exact opposite, but we're way, way beyond that now. And the more asinine, the more anti-scriptural, the more just plain idiotic, the faster we head down the toilet. Oh, and one more story from late in the week I'm going to throw into the mix before we... Back up a bit and do our chronological review of the rest of the week. A TV doctor in Mexico and so-called vaccination expert, Dr. Alfredo Victoria, who ran the website called ProVaccines.com and frequently injected staff on air on the Mexico Today show, has died suddenly and unexpectedly of a myocardial infarction, according to reports. He was 42 when he died in his sleep early in the week and was a vocal advocate, say the stories, of COVID mRNA vaccines. And uh, I guess beyond that, I'll just say no comment. Just when you thought America's truly evil Dr. Mengele was finally being tossed on the ash heap of history, still drawing a major taxpayer-funded pension and certainly not yet indicted for crimes against humanity... 
Tony Fauci is at it again, encouraging everyone who's been paying attention to throw up on their shoes. As the Gateway Pundit puts it, the maestro of medical misdirection, and that's an understatement, folks, about the mass murderer of the millions, is taking on a new role. On Monday, Georgetown University announced that they, too, have no shame and no intent to claim the title Institution of Higher Education by announcing that Tony Fauci is going to join the university's faculty as, oh, good grief, a distinguished professor. And that is truly ugly. Said the news release, after dedicating 54 years of his life to public service, and how's that for a whopper? The scumbag, and I'm not going to put the title in the same sentence here, has chosen Georgetown University to play a major role in the next phase, unquote, of his uh, attempt to destroy what's left of the once free world. Actually, for my part, folks, I'm looking forward to a graduate lecture series entitled something like How to Commit Global Mass Murder and Get Away With It, with a prerequisite called Fudging Scientific Studies and Avoiding Peer Review. And in the absence of a story that we could call good, I almost started off today with this one. The headline from the Daily Mail is kind of informative. Veteran biology professor, it says, who teaches scientific fact that sex is determined, I hope you're sitting down, by X and Y chromosomes, is fired after four students, and I would say idiots, walked out of his reproductive class and accused him of, quote, religious preaching. Dr. Johnson Varkey, it says, claimed he was let go from his teaching position at St. Philip's College in San Antonio, Texas. He'd been teaching human anatomy and physiology there for 22 years. But in the new Orwellian world of PC speak only, he was fired. After being accused of that so-called religious preaching, he in fact was discussing the human reproductive system on November 28th, 2022, when four students stormed out of the lecture, after which he was accused of, quote, discriminatory comments about homosexuals and transgender individuals, along with anti-abortion rhetoric and misogynistic banter. Why, that sounds really serious. And just listen to this letter that he got from the so-called university. They're not quite up there with Georgetown, but they're working on it. Two months after the walkout, said TGP's coverage, Dr. Varkey received a notice of discipline and termination of employment and contract letter stating that the school, quote, received numerous complaints about his, quote, religious preaching, and you've heard the rest of that, and that his teaching, listen to this, though, pushed beyond the bounds of academic freedom with his personal opinions that were offensive to many individuals in the classroom, unquote. And think about that, folks. If it's not offensive, at least to people with half a brain, it has no business in a so-called university classroom nowadays. And i got to read that again. Pushed beyond the bounds of academic freedom with personal opinions. They just described their whole stinking curriculum. Nothing but opinions. And if it has to do with facts, it's probably verboten. And I've really, truly come to believe that most institutions of so-called higher education don't even understand the concept of what science once was anymore. Much less, what a laugh. Sorry, no, they've turned it into a sick joke. Academic freedom. Hey, but if you think about it, it makes sense. No wonder so many of them could care less about merit. Harkening back now, the international drama began over the weekend out of Russia. Where, at least so the narrative went, there was a coup in progress from the Russian version of BlackRock, a.k.a. Wagner in this case, led by a fellow named Prigozhin, kind of a corporate mercenary force. 
Just to fill in some of the gaps, these are the kind of reports we were seeing by midday Saturday. The Wagner Group is making a move on the Russian capital, they said, with multiple reports and videos now confirming Wagner convoys are headed towards Moscow, going north from the Rostov region. At the same time, Chechen groups loyal to Putin are now sending their own armed convoys towards Rostov-on-Don, which has several key installations under the control of the leader of the Wagner Group, Yevgeny Prigozhin, who's now been accused of treason by the Kremlin. Reuters reported that mutinous Russian mercenary fighters barreled towards Moscow on Saturday after seizing a southern city overnight with Russia's military firing on them from the air but seemingly incapable of slowing their lightning advance. Little or no resistance, though, was being observed while Wagner convoys blow through makeshift roadblocks and some observers say that Wagner fighters have been spotted within a few hours outside the capital. Oh, yes, folks, you can see them dancing in the streets in the swamp. Americans obviously won't rise up and overthrow the big guy, but maybe Russia, Russia, Russia will finally overthrow the evil Vladimir Putin. At least that was the story for a few hours. But then suddenly it was pretty much all over. Was it a masterful diplomatic stroke and an act of statesmanship by Vladimir Putin or something else? Well, folks, remember, truth is the first casualty of war. And also somewhere down the line, it continues to be a casualty. And there's been no shortage of speculation on this one either. But by Monday morning, the coup was just a memory, and we were hearing stories like this. The entire slightly bizarre, less than 24-hour short-lived coup attempt has just gotten even stranger, wrote Zero Hedge in their summary, given the terms of the truce, which evidently caused Evgeny Prigozhin to announce his Wagner fighting columns would turn around and go back to their bases. The Wall Street Journal has confirmed, based on Kremlin statements, that, quote, as part of the agreement, Prigozhin will leave Russia for Belarus, and criminal charges against him will will be dropped, said Putin's spokesman Dmitry Peskov, and at least some of his fighters will be allowed to sign contracts with the Russian military, while Russia's RT provides some further details based on Peskov's statement. He added that Wagner's fighters will not be prosecuted, taking into account their efforts on the front lines of the Ukraine conflict, with Peskov explaining that President Vladimir Putin's team has, quote, always respected their exploits. Those PMC contractors who refused to take part in the mutiny and whole units did not will be allowed to signed contracts with the Russian Defense Ministry, said Peskov. And in summary, charges are being dropped against Prigozhin, who will leave Russia for Belarus. Wagner fighters who didn't take part in the uprising will be allowed to sign contracts with the Russian Ministry of Defense. Wagner fighters who did take part are not going to be charged. And no word on potential leadership changes within the Russian Ministry of Defense. And the only thing that seems to be clear at this point is that it does look like it's over, with no immediate further danger of civil conflict. While Sputnik is confirming that Wagner has handed headquarters and bases in Rostov-on-Don back to the regular military. And concludes Zero Hedge's summary, you can rest assured the speculation has only just begun and it's likely to continue for days if not weeks over exactly what the world just witnessed here. Well, certainly one aspect of speculation had to do with the glee with which all of the potential civil war and coup in Russia was greeted by the usual suspects in the deep state swamp. Leading to speculation, no surprise that maybe the CIA was behind it. Think uh, Russian spring in this case. And as we ended the week, that certainly hadn't debated. 
And on that note, some pointed to a story that appeared in Newsweek almost two weeks ago under the headline, Russian arms dealer released by none other than the Biden Fuhrer has been spotted with the Wagner Group boss, Victor Bout. The freed Russian arms dealer, nicknamed the Merchant of Death, was photographed with Yevgeny Prigozhin as they took a joint trip to the Russian city of Yulianovsk. And you may recall, the article adds helpfully, that Bout, a 56-year-old former Soviet military officer, was serving a 25-year sentence in the United States before he was freed in exchange, inexplicably some would have said, for U.S. women's NBA basketball star Brittany Griner as part of a high-level prisoner swap back in December. Why, oh, why make that deal has been asked many times, but hey, maybe somebody wanted to play Let's Make a Deal. Certainly, that speculation is no less unreasonable than any of the other idiocy we've seen lately out of the swamp. This and other related information led people like U.S. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene to speculate that the Wagner coup may have, in fact, had U.S. or CIA backing. Jack Posobiec added, later Saturday, there are, quote, a whole lot of neocons deleting pro-progrosion tweets right now. Well, folks, as the week wore on, it was interesting to see how the story just kind of disappeared. So I can't help but quip that if you've been paying attention and you see various other things that become an embarrassment to the idiots that plotted and tried to get it to happen and then it blew up in their faces, there's probably nothing about this that's surprising. But a lot of key people who think that the Biden Fuhrer is in control of anything awake at night. And we'll be right back. second segment of the show for this evening. I am again your host, Mark Call. And I'm going to start this one off a bit differently than I usually do. Some of you may think I had to save up for several days to get to this point, but uh, regardless, here we go. I'm going to begin with a whole bunch of good news. Some of it's better news than others, but at least it's an indicator that more and more people are finally figuring out how bad things really are and are at least in some respects moving to turn things around or at least be aware of it. Here's one of them from the Epoch Times about Representative Matt Gates of Florida and Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia who are now seeking openly to, uh, no, not do the impeachment thing. That should have been obvious and hasn't happened. But at least in this case, they want to defund the office of the director of the utterly unconstitutional, matter of fact, anti-constitutional Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, Oot, Explosives, under a little-used House rule. In a June 26 letter, the House Appropriations Committee chairwoman, Kay Granger of Texas, the lawmakers announced their plans, holding that the ATF, and here's a shocker, had been weaponized against U.S. citizens by the Biden Fuhrer and the regime that pulls his strings. The leadership at ATF, they wrote, has proven unable and, uh, they say or, but I'd say both, unwilling.
time to see that the ATF respect the rule of law and not act where Congress has not legislated, unquote. And they're missing a piece, right? How about where the things that they're doing are explicitly forbidden by the Constitution? Oh, well. We've got a ways to go, so it's not unmitigated good news. Anyway, they said instead the ATF abuses, and that's putting it mildly, but hey, it's better late than never. It's rulemaking authority, legislating through the executive, and making a mockery of the separation of powers mandated by the Constitution, unquote. And I guess you got to say, why not? They mock the rest of it. There's a lot more to this piece, but ultimately anybody that's been paying attention knows the ATF is antithetical to the concept of shall not be infringed, prior restraint on even the ability to own, much less purchase a firearm. And with respect to one of these specific violations, Representative Gates said that the ATF wants to, quote, make it impossible to exercise Second Amendment rights, as if they still existed, and what better way to do this than make it difficult to purchase a firearm, he said. Make no mistake, the ATF is going after Americans and FFLs, which stands for the Unconstitutional Federal Firearms Licensees. They're just in the way. This is good news, too, even though it's far away, but at least one leftist country in Europe is maybe starting to see it. Sweden, says a piece from Slay News, has decided they're sick and tired of the idiocy surrounding so-called green energy targets. They've just dealt a severe blow, the piece begins, to the globalist climate agenda by scrapping those so-called green targets. In a statement announcing the new policy in the Swedish parliament, Finance Minister Elizabeth Svantesson warned that the Scandinavian nation needs, quote, a stable energy system. Cool, isn't it? Somebody at least has figured that out. Stantesen asserted that wind and solar power are just too unstable, her word at least in Swedish, to meet the nation's energy requirements, and instead the Swedish government is going to shift back to nuclear power, and they've ditched their targets for a 100% renewable sick energy supply. And the move, as you might guess, is a major blow to unreliable, inefficient, and I'll say it, downright unscientific, so-called technology. Why do I say unscientific? Because the whole man-made global warming thing, folks, is nothing but anti-scientific BS based on bogus, even outright manufactured, and they know it, numbers. Now, does that mean that the climate isn't changing? Absolutely not. But the claim that it's based on your carbon footprint is utter BS. Countries are being pushed, it says, towards renewable energy to meet the goals of the World Economic Forum and their so-called green agenda, along with other things being pushed by the socialist likes of the United Nations, who, Paris Climate Accords, World Bank, and, of course, the biden Fuhrer regime and those that are pulling his puppet strings. In announcing Sweden's new energy policy, Svantesen said, quote, this creates the conditions for nuclear power. We need more electricity production. We need clean electricity and we need a stable energy system, unquote. And wow, amazing. Here's a headline that might be good news. It does, in fact, come from the Financial Times, and that's probably the good news, although it's behind a paywall, and I certainly am not going to pay for anything they push, nor would I encourage anyone else to do so. But it does say this, America is feeling buyer's remorse at the world it built, and uh, yep, and it's about time. The U.S. Supreme Court weighed in on an interesting case Tuesday in a 7-2 ruling. There's a bit of a surprise, and the mix is interesting as well here. They sided with a man who made extensive online threats to a singer in Colorado, 
ruling 7 to 2 that prosecutors must actually prove that the person making said threats is aware of the threatening nature of their communications. I guess the good news here is anybody that says anything online, if Big Brother doesn't like it, is accused of making threats. Therefore, there is no First Amendment. And if this ruling was actually ever to be applied the way it reads, that certainly would be good news. Uh, Obviously, we'll see. The court ruled in favor of a defendant named Billy Raymond Counterman, who was convicted in Colorado of stalking after sending repeated messages to a female musician, Coles Whalen, which she says made her fear for her safety. And the man's conviction was based on what was called an objective test over whether or not a so-called reasonable person. Come on. Does that person even exist in America with a K today? Not at least as far as the waste stream is concerned. And certainly not in the cesspool cities or the swamp. Who uh, must believe that his or her comments constituted true threats, which therefore aren't protected by the First Amendment, as if anything still is. The attorney argued in front of his attorney argued in front of the U.S. Supreme Court that the test should instead focus on the speaker's actual intent, because Counterman didn't intend to threaten Whalen, just say some nasty things. And in a ruling authored by none other than Justice Elena Kagan, the court found that true threats of violence aren't protected under the First Amendment. That isn't new. But that states must prove that a criminal defendant has, quote, disregarded a substantial risk that his communications would be viewed as threatening violence, as opposed to just, I felt really bad about them. And yeah, folks, that was uh, arguably from your host's take, not the court opinion. In other words, the court ruled that in order for speech to be considered a true threat, there has to be some demonstration, actual evidence, wow, what a concept, that the speaker had, quote, some subjective understanding of his statement's threatening nature, and that at least, and here's the gotcha, folks, the speaker was reckless with their comments rather than actually intending them to be harmful. And yeah, that's why it's not unmitigated good news. But at least, according to Kagan, the court's recklessness standard offers enough breathing space for some protected speech to still exist, quote, without sacrificing too many of the benefits of enforcing laws against true threats, unquote. Call it a mixed bag. Now, one more thing here. I do think it's interesting that the two dissenting justices were Amy Coney Barrett and Justice Clarence Thomas, who, in your host's opinion, is almost certainly the best on the bench. And on that score, Amy Coney Barrett's dissent makes a nuanced and compelling argument with which Clarence Thomas says he fully concurs. Based on a number of points... The court leans hardest she wrote on defamation law, but its argument depends on a single cherry-picked strand of the doctrine. I guess that's not surprising. And she goes on to say that because true threats are not typically proximate to debate on matters of public concern, the court's newly erected buffer zone, as she puts it, does not serve the end of protecting heated political commentary, and that certainly is a valid point. Nor, she adds, can public figures use counter-speech in the public square to protect themselves from serious threats of physical violence. And perversely, private individuals now have less protection from true threats than from defamation, even though they presumably value their lives more than their reputations. But, she says, I'll give the court this much, speakers must specifically intend to incite violence before they lose First Amendment protection. And she cites some cases and then goes on to note that the court's analysis also gives short shrift to how an objective test, as they call it, works in practice. And they add many states have long had statutes on the books, like Colorado's, 
But before we took this case, the vast majority of courts of appeals and state high courts have upheld those statutes as constitutional. So objective tests, he says, are effectively the status quo today. Yet counterman still struggles to identify past prosecutions that came close to infringing on protected speech. The silence is telling, and so is the silence in the historical record, at which Justice Amy Coney Barrett goes into some detail. Concluding that, well, at the end of the day, the best historical case for counterman doesn't add up to much. He's plainly not asking the court to enforce a historically sanctioned rule, but rather, and this is something, folks, that the court seems to excel at, to fashion a new one. And the problem, they say, is that this case is about the scope of the First Amendment, not the interpretation of a criminal statute. And accordingly, the court's holding affects the civil consequences for true threats just as much as it restricts criminal liability. And briefly, this seems to be where Clarence Thomas writes separately, he says, to address the majority's surprising and misplaced reliance on a 1964 case called New York Times Company v. Sullivan, in which the court held that the First Amendment bars public figures from recovering damages for defamation, unless they can show that the statement at issue was made with, quote, actual malice. And thus, instead of just applying the First Amendment as it was understood at the time of the founding, the court fashioned its own federal rules by balancing the competing values at stake. And evidently, he feels that the court has made too many extensions to that case in arguably the wrong direction. And it's unfortunate, says Clarence Thomas, that the majority chooses not only to prominently and uncritically invoke New York Times, but also extend its flawed policy-driven First Amendment analysis to true threats a separate area of this court's jurisprudence. And that, folks, your host can't help but think, is not only a point worth making, but worth making clear. And in summary, they agree, the bottom line is this. Counterman communicated true threats, which, quote, everyone agrees, lie outside the bounds of First Amendment protection. In other words, he knew what the words meant. Those threats caused the victim to fear for her life, and they, quote, upended her daily existence. And he quotes the case. Nevertheless, the court concludes that Counterman can prevail on a First Amendment defense. Nothing in the Constitution, agree both Justices Coney, Barrett, and Thomas, compels that result, and as a result, they both agree, I respectfully dissent. Again, folks, a mixed bag, but at least it's, uh, well, encouraging that some of the court still seems to think some parts of the First Amendment are worth paying attention to. Well, from there, I do have a couple of warning stories we need to do today. One comes from the British version, for the U.S. anyway, of The Sun, which has a headline, Holiday Hell. Travel chaos, it says, sees over 1,900 flights canceled, 6,700 delayed, as air quality from Canadian fires that arguably seem to have been set threaten New York and the Northeast as the 4th of July, which most Americans don't even know what it means anymore anyway, looms. Other people are saying, hey, you just about have to be crazy to fly on a commercial airline nowadays anyway, for an increasing number of reasons, but primarily given the fact that so many pilots were coerced into taking the Zyklon B injection, and therefore, whether the FAA likes to talk about it or not, are medically unfit to fly, just maybe there are saner options. Many airlines, says the Sun Peace, cite weather and air traffic control as being the main issues, with United Airlines Chief Executive Scott Kirby telling employees that nearly 150,000 passengers were affected over recent days. He lashed out at the Federal Aviation Administration and said the agency was unable to quell the mayhem. Quote, the FAA frankly failed us this weekend, he wrote, according to the WAPO. And uh, 
They've been failing for longer than that. Here's an interesting eyebrow-raising story that might or might not reflect one of those many reasons. Sudan Ebola virus vaccine candidate, says a piece from precisionvaccinations.com, judge for yourself, has begun testing in the United States. IAVI announced today that the initial participants had been vaccinated with a SUDV, or Sudan virus, vaccine candidate in their first inhuman phase one clinical trial in the U.S. As of June 27th this year, the IAVI C-108 sponsored trial Funded by BARDA, the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, Octung, has begun. And the injections are going to happen at two U.S.-based clinical trial sites. And uh, maybe you want to avoid those if they tell us where they are. Where the vaccine candidates will be administered intramuscularly at three dosage levels. i got to ask it, given what we've seen, doesn't that make you wonder if somebody intends to bring it here? Or uh, accidentally release it? Or maybe even gain a function, improve it? Yeah, inquiring minds at this point are more than cynical. And this is good news, they say, because, hey, be afraid, be very afraid, folks. There are no Sudan Ebola virus vaccines available, which kind of begs the obvious question, right? In any case, the research and development on the platform is being accomplished at the lab facility in Brooklyn, New York. Quite frankly, a lot of us don't want to be anywhere close to New York City anyway. And there's this from the satanic nutcase beyond far left. This is courtesy of Steve Watson and Summit News, also via Zero Hedge. Some 250 ultra-woke Hollywood so-called celebrities from movies, TV, and music have all signed their names to an open letter urging even more tyranny from the Big Brother Big Tech fascist public-private partnership. They want big tech companies to crack down on anyone who doesn't fall in line with their far-left utterly satanic trans agenda, including the advocacy of life-changing gender surgeries, i.e. mutilation, on children, minors, little immature people who otherwise, these same folks, not only wouldn't allow to even touch a firearm, but they are allowed to cut off something they're never going to learn how to use anyway. What incredible, unbelievable satanic hypocrisy. But the hell with what their parents want, too, right? The letter was sent to the CEOs of various big tech partners, including Meta, YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter, by GLAD, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation and the so-called Human Rights Campaign, well, some rights for some transhumans, anyway, and signed by hundreds of famous names, including Amy Schumer, Ariana Grande, Demi Lovato, Jamie Lee Curtis, Judd Apatow, Patrick Stewart, good grief, and many more. And it states, get this, there's been a massive systemic failure to prohibit hate, harassment, and malicious anti-LGBTQ disinformation on your platforms, and it must their emphasis be addressed. And they pointed to dangerous posts, including both content and ads, targeting transgender non-binary and gender non-conforming people. And they continued, this disinformation and hate inadequately moderated on your platforms plays an outsized role in the sharp increase in real-world anti-transgender targeting and violence, unquote. And you know what that means, folks? Prohibiting little kids from allowing some pervert to inject them first with drugs and then to cut off their undeveloped breasts or penises. But I don't doubt it also includes showing them certain parts that are now verboten of the Bible, too. 
That's enough of this crap. This is literally disgusting and hard to read. But they do say this, and it's important we understand what it means. They demand that what be addressed is, quote, content that spreads malicious lies and disinformation about, listen carefully, medically necessary health care for transgender youth. And they likened it to uh, misinformation surrounding people who didn't want little kitties to be forced to take the Zyklon B injection. How dare they? So essentially, says Watson, they want to censor anyone who doesn't completely advocate removing the genitalia of children and subsequently sterilizing them. Oh, yeah. And briefly, and I'm not going to dwell on this one because it's even more disgusting. The Biden Department of Miss Dis Uneducation, Negative Education, held a so-called Pride Seminar last week where it presented, among other things, an eighth grader advocating puberty blockers for children. The event was titled Creating Inclusive Unt Non-Discriminatory School Environments for LGBTQ Plus Students. And it was close to the press because some things they don't even want the leftist press to be able to disclose to you. However, video of the seminar has since emerged, which also involved officials from the Department of Aktung, Just Us, the Department of Health and Human Services, the Office of Civil Rights, what a disgusting misnomer, and the Center for Death and Control. And they featured a 13-year-old trans-identifying child, or at least it was coerced into that, named Hilde Edwards, imploring, quote, please just let my generation access their health care that they need because I just started estrogen and I've never felt even more like a woman if I'm being honest, unquote. And who knows whether this little misguided child will even be alive when he, she, or they get to the age of puberty. Oh, yeah. The story notes that the eighth grader also admitted reporting other classmates for the sins, the crimes of dead naming and misgendering. Big Brother wants to destroy their lives, too. But first, they have to be uh, properly indoctrinated. At least Watson adds a counterpoint. In the real world, a new poll from Summit Ministries and McLaughlin and Associates finds that almost two-thirds, 61% of U.S. voters believe, <laughs> you'd have thought it would be higher, but hey, the leftists are obviously having an impact. They believe that introducing children to satanic anti-life things, yes, I put that terminology in there, like transgenderism, drag shows, and LGBTQ plus themes, stunts their emotional and psychological development. Yeah, folks, and may ultimately end up killing them. And at this point, I want to hearken back to November of 2021 for a piece that seems to fit very presciently today. Because when it comes to wrapping up, and I saw this one in the archives, I realized this one just had to be at the top of a downright satanic heap. And as I even start to put this together, it occurs to me that the word satanic is an adjective I've used a lot lately. So is evil. And we're at the point where things have gotten so bad, so over the top, that those words even almost don't describe the level of truly satanic evil, yeah, there you go, that we're dealing with here. And before I talk about the story I really have no choice but to lead off with today, I've got a quote from the words of the Messiah, no less than three different times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, seems to have been pointing directly to Pfizer and their most recent ad directed at killing children. Now that the federal death agencies have all said, go to it, who's stopping you? In both Matthew 18.6 and again in Mark 9.42, he says almost exactly the same thing about those who shall offend one of these little ones, referring to children, just like the ones you're getting ready to hear, who believe in him. Well, he said it would be better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were cast into the depths of the sea. The Mafia, remember, later started to refer to that as sleeping with the fishies and ponder the irony. 
Luke 17, 2 says almost exactly the same thing, but begins with a note about what he said unto his disciples that basically, oh yeah, understand, offenses are going to come, but, quote, woe unto him through whom they come. And then, yeah, again, better that a millstone be hanged around his neck and he's cast into the sea. So what is it, you're probably thinking by now, that so viscerally evokes this particular dire warning? A new ad from one of Molex corporate minions. And the Gateway Pundits, Jim Hoff, pretty well nails it when he says this is truly pure evil. Yeah, once Pfizer was given the go-ahead from the Center for Death to Children to give them the experimental Zyklon B COVID poke, noting that, oh yeah, they have a far greater chance of drowning, dying in a car wreck, or dying from the flu than they ever did from the coronavirus, but not nearly so much when it comes to taking the poison injection. And here i got to ask, in the context of the warning about offending the little ones, does destroying their immune system, their heart, their circulation, does that constitute offending them? But when it comes to lying, though, Pfizer has shown that they have no scruples, and they're really pulling out the stops here. Pfizer, he said, just released this disturbing ad telling children that they'll get superpowers if they take the COVID poke. God, he writes, what sick, evil people. And I do think he's understating the case. You can't see the video, folks, but just hearing the audio is far more than enough to make the point. But if you really want to see what subtle serpentry looks like, certainly go to the Gateway Pundit and check out this latest propaganda from Satan's corporate servants. The trouble is, this is not mere propaganda, folks. This is directed at getting kids to voluntarily commit suicide. Or at least to allow their parents, sick, to do it to them. And it begins with a bunch of little kids dressed up like superheroes. Getting ready to fight COVID. All of us want to be superheroes. And the most important heroes are those that help others. This year, thousands of kids like us around the world joined the COVID-19 vaccine trial. Kid power. And when they did, they became all superheroes. Yeah, if you take the poison poke, like those other guinea pigs did, you too can have superpowers. Like... Courage. Trying new things. The ability to save people. The power to help people. Helping not just um, yourself, but many other kids. Do not be scared. Be strong. Super brave. Bravery and courage. A superhero shot. Helping everybody. Fight coronavirus and help others. You're helping the whole entire world. Yeah, if you volunteer to commit suicide, to never maybe ever have children, to destroy your immune system in the name of, well, you don't actually know what yet, and you probably never will live long enough to find out, but if you'll just be courageous and try new things, and believe that taking this shot will not only give you superpowers, but help you save the whole entire world, just maybe, kiddies, you're signing up for an offense before the creator of the universe that will have somebody, maybe a whole lot of somebodies, deserving of a whole lot of millstones. But what's amazing, folks, given a gentle mutilation marketed as health care for kiddies, is how far they've gone even beyond that. Anybody remember what were once called self-evident truths? <laughs> <laughs> 